Good morning. Thank you for joining me. If you have your Bible, um, please turn over to the book of First John. That's where we're going to be primarily today, is in the book of First John. And today we are going to talk specifically about love. Love is a word that today people overuse and underappreciate. Love is something that we think we can understand and comprehend without anyone really ever explaining it to us. Right? We think we know what love is just based off of our own experiences um, and that someone doesn't have to explain it to us. We know from a very young age you know, who we love and who loves us. Now, this may seem a bit trivial, but we constantly need to be reminded of what love truly is because we have oversimplified and distorted the true nature of love so much that most people, and perhaps uh, some of you listening today, um, you may have a complete misunderstanding of what love really is. So that's why today I want us to explain two things. I want us to discuss what love is and what love is not. Um, And then I want us to see in the scriptures how Christ expects us to love. So like I said, today I've titled this sermon, What is Love? So I want to begin by explaining what love is not. If I were to ask you to define love, what would be your response? Now, most people and the most uh, would say, and the most common answer uh, begins with two words, that love is a feeling, dot, dot, dot. Um, in fact, when polled, people were asked to define about, let's say, I think it was, was it 100,000 um, people? But anyway, they were asked to define love, and a whopping 98% of people began their definition with those two words, that love is a feeling. Um, but most people believe that you can fall out of love just, just like you fell into love, right? I fell in love, so I can fall out of love. Most people believe that love is not finite, and that it is uh, not tangible, um, but it is some sort of abstract idea. But there is an enormous problem with listening to most people. I want to show you a picture. Now, most of us probably, most people, um, probably remember this picture. Um, It's a picture of this dress that some people saw as black and blue, and some people saw as white and gold. Um, and it sparked some heated controversy um, on social media. Now, I have in no way altered this picture, so if you see it as one color rather than what you originally saw it as, that's not my fault. Um, But if you don't remember it, um, I want to tell you what the statistics were. Statistics say that 74% of people who looked at this, 74% saw this dress as white and gold, and 23% said that they saw it as black and blue. And then they had about 3% that claimed that they could see both, um, depending on how they looked at it. 
Now, the owner of said dress has since confirmed that the dress is actually black and blue. But the argument, even after confirmation, was that if most people saw the dress as white and gold, then it must be. So, in other words, if most people agree on something, then that something must then be true. Now, allow me to share a few more statistics with you. When 100,000 people, 100,000 Americans, were polled, they were asked if they believed in a higher power. 84% claimed that they believed there was a higher power of some kind. They didn't specify. Out of that 84%, only 28% of those people claimed to be Christian. Out of that 28% of the 84%, only 2%, only 2% believe that the Bible was the infallible word of God. So, so let's break those numbers down for just a minute. Out of 100,000 Americans, 84,000 believed in a higher power. That's, that's, that's pretty good odds. But 28% of those claimed to be Christians, which is uh, roughly 23,520. So 23,520 people claimed to be Christians. And out of that 23,520, only 470 people believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So out of 100,000 Americans, 470 believed that the Bible was actually the Word of God. So can you see now that just because most people say something and agree that something is true does not necessarily mean that it is? Ultimately, it is not what we think about love that makes it true. It's what God says about it. So let's look over in 1 John chapter 3. Um, I'm reading out of the ESV. So 1 John chapter 3, and I'm going to begin in the... 14th verse, reading verses 14 through 18. It says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So what is God's definition of love? Love is not a feeling. Love is an act or an action. It means to do something, not to simply feel something. Um, To reaffirm this, let's look over in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew 22, this is verses 36 through 40. It says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, being Jesus, said to him, uh, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, I am by no means 
an expert in English. I'm not an English professor. Um, I don't major in English, but I do know the most basic foundational structure of a sentence. And we learn this early on in school. So to have a complete sentence, one needs only a subject and a verb. So when we examine Jesus' reply here, after the man asked him, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So let's look at that there. What is our subject? Our subject here in this sentence is you, right? It's you. Uh, Christ is talking to the man. You, and what is the verb or the action word? Love. You love. Now, love, again, is not a feeling. It shows action. This word right here that I'm looking at, um, if you were to break it down into the Greek, uh, the word used here in verse 37 for love is agape seis, which is derived from the Greek word agape, which many of us have probably heard. Uh, and that is the love for man, for your brother, for, for people. That is bro- like, um, you know, that's the love I have for a platonic kind of love. It is a term, but this, this term is used to command, to instruct, and to charge one with action. So, so why am I saying all this? To emphasize and to explain that God's definition of love is not based on an emotion, but on action. Love is something that you do. Now, love absolutely can produce an emotion, right? It can, it can even emblazon the happiness that one might feel when around a certain individual. But those are merely side effects of love itself. And those side effects are not a supplement for the act. Okay, so we can feel loved. And I can, I can feel loved when my wife is, is showing me love. Or even, some, you know, even when I'm just around her, I feel loved. But that is a side effect to the love, to the act of love that she shows me. Now, people buy into this perverse idea that God um, has ordained love as a feeling. And they, they say, well, love is a feeling. And they say this all the time because then they end up with an excuse, right? If, if love is a feeling and I fall in love with someone, well, now I have an excuse for when I no longer want to love someone. Well, I fell out of love with them. So, what, what do they use this excuse for? Well, they use the excuse for when they want to treat their significant other poorly or they, when they speak harshly to them or when they commit adultery against them, right? Well, I never would have done something like that except we just fell out of love. So, let me be clear. You do not fall out of love with someone. You simply choose to stop loving them. And there is a stark difference there. It shows the true nature of what love is and what it is not. Now, that person um, that, that many people say 
they, you know, they just couldn't help but to have an affair. Um, because it was love at first sight. You know, you hear that, oh, well, I had this coworker or whatever, and it was just love at first sight, and the heart wants what the heart wants. That is not love at first sight. That is lust at first sight. And this is exactly what James tells us in chapter 1, verse 14, when he says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You know, people will say, well, devil slipped in and got me that time. No, you bought in to the wickedness of your own heart, and now you are ashamed, as you should be. But you are looking for a scapegoat now. So you blame Satan rather than yourself. Now, does Satan set snares? Absolutely. Uh, Does Satan send his demons out to torment us and and the way we think and try to persuade how we we behave and, uh, and some of the things we say and how quick we are with our temper? Absolutely. But most of the time when we sin, it is not, well, let me rephrase this, all of the time when we sin, it is because we want to. You know, I tell Adam all the time, I tell my son Adam, for those of y'all that know him, that people do what they want, just like animals, right? I know that sounds harsh, but people and animals are similar in that facet, that we do what we want all the time. Now, people say, well, that's not true. I I don't do what I want to all the time because I hate my job, but I go to work. Well, that might be true to an extent, but you do want to go to work more than you want to not have food on the table. You do want to go to work more than you want to uh, don't want to have lights on or water, you know. So there are priorities there. So people say, well, I don't do what I want. That's not true. You do what you want to all the time. People do it all the time. So if you are continuing in sin, it is merely because you still love it. And I'm speaking to me as well. When I sin and when I choose choose sin over righteousness, when I choose to please self other than when I want to please God, it is because it is what I want to do. I still have sin in my heart that I have not purged, that I am clinging to. That is when we sin. It is not because the devil made me do it. It's because we are tempted and lured and enticed by our own desires. So, let me put it to you like this. Do you know how I know that my children love me? You know, it isn't when they tell me. Now, that does make me feel good, okay? I do love being told that they love me. I mean, you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. However, that's not when I know that they love me. I know they love me when they obey me, when they are obedient to me even when they don't think that I'm looking and they and and I see them being obedient when it's not convenient that's when I know that their love is true you know when I tell Adam don't do this or don't make sure you're not doing this at a certain place or whatever and I'll go and watch or listen and I'll hear him say no I can't do that because my dad said that I can't and he doesn't know that I'm watching that's when I know that he loves me Now, this relationship was given to me, my children, as an example of the relationship that we have with our Father. You know, we might say that we love Him, 
But we can know that we love him when we obey him, especially when it is not convenient for us to do so. The difference is that God already knows whether we love him or not. But our obedience is the evidence to ourselves and to others of whether we love him or not. So, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, we're given a beautiful definition of the characteristics of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 13. Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So what does love truly look like to us? What is love really? What does it look like? Love is creating man, is, love is God creating man, even though God knew that we would be disobedient and we would be seduced by our own sinful, sinful desires And by doing so, we would be blaspheming his name, yet he still created us. Love is God still showing us mercy during the great flood and sparing us even though we were the very reason the world was corrupt. Love is God being patient with us when we we consistently turn away from him and instead of worshiping him, we worship our golden calves or numerous other false gods and idols. Love is God passing over his chosen people when the world was suffering through plagues. Love is God restoring his people time and time again and leading them out of the wilderness into the promised lands even though we complained and groaned about our circumstances. Love is God humbling and lowering himself by, by coming down from his perfect throne of authority in heaven to, to become a man in a corrupt world. Love is God healing, restoring, and teaching us what a true disciple of his looks like because we could have never figured it out on our own. Love is God redeeming us when we have not only denied him three times, 
but when we deny him daily with our disobedience. Love is God being tortured, mocked, and murdered by his own choosing so that he could take the punishment that we deserve. Love is God being the pure and holy sacrifice that was required to satisfy God's wrath that we could never be. Love is God being crucified on the cross when at any moment he could have chosen to be free of his own suffering, but instead chose to bear the wrath of God that we stored up for ourselves and instead had it poured out on himself. Love is God being resurrected from the dead and giving hope to all those who have repented, believed, and confessed that Christ is Lord. Love is God testifying to the Father in heaven on our behalf, proclaiming that we belong to him. And love is clothing us in his righteousness on the day of judgment, while Satan is rightly accusing us of being full of sin. But Christ instead proclaims that we are joint heirs with him, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what he has done for us. That is what love is. So what then ought to be expected of us as his children? Let's look back in 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. He writes, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So what is expected of us? We are to filter every decision, every word, and every thought through the love of God so that the only thing that is produced from us is his righteousness. We are to treat every relationship that we have, whether it is with our spouse, our children, our friends, or our enemies, as though it was Christ himself making those decisions. And we are to examine our current behavior to see if we to see if our behavior is directly aligned with the righteousness of God. Because if it is not, then we must ask ourselves the same question that John asks us in verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Then he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is not a feeling. It is an act. It is an act of humility. It is an act of selflessness. It is an act of obedience. Love is an action. 
And if it is not consistent, then it is false. So this week, let's examine ourselves. Do we know someone with some a brother or sister in, with a need, but we close our heart against them? Because if so, then how can God's love abide in us? Do we love our wives like we ought to as Christ loved the church? Do we love our husbands enough to submit and obey their authority over us? Do we love our children or do we just love being around our children? Do our children, you know, do we, do we provoke them? Are we too harsh with them? Do we try to live vicariously through them? Or are we gen, genuinely sacrificing ourselves daily for their sake? You know, my, my children, when they get into trouble, they, they tell me all the time, they say, Dad, I'm sorry. And I do appreciate that, but I tell them, I appreciate that, but show me that you're sorry. Show me that you are through how you behave. Because if you're truly sorry, then your behavior will reflect that. Our actions are evidence of what we believe and what we think. So this week, let us stand firm in love. Let us always acknowledge where true love comes from and who gave it to us and why. Let us let us love those around us like we ought to. And when we tell someone that we love them, let it be a spark in your mind every time you say it. Do I and then ask yourself, do I truly or am I just saying it out of routine? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We ask that you watch over us. Father, we do love you. And we ask for the opportunity to to show ourselves that we really do through our obedience to your word. Father, this week, do not let us love in, in word or in speech only. Indeed, Father, give us an opportunity to love those that we have neglected. Give us an opportunity to love those who, who hate us so that your glory might be revealed. Father, use us as your vessels to show the world the greatness and, and perfect, perfect fulfillment of your love. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray and give thanks. Amen.